You're listening to episode 71 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. Happy December! I cannot believe that we're in the last month of 2019. I have an amazing month of guests lined up. We're covering so many topics from physical health, relationships, to even a tool that's going to help you become more self-aware. But first things first, and that's today's episode, where we dig deep into trauma, transformation, and healing. Trauma is defined as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. I think we all carry levels of trauma with us, but this week's guest, Janelle Hardy, is teaching us how to use our personal stories as a way to heal and transform. Before we pull back the layers of trauma and healing and transformation, it is time for us to cover the review of the week. This week's review comes from a podcast guest, Patricia Young. Patricia spoke to us about being a highly sensitive person a few weeks ago. If you missed that episode, it's all right. After you're done with this one, flip back and listen to it. So I just love that she took the time to leave a review. Patricia writes, I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Lauren. She is so engaging and responsive and genuinely wants to know about her guests. Her passion and curiosity makes her a joy to listen to. Well, I seriously just love Patricia and I love reading reviews. If you haven't had a chance to drop a review yet, what in the world are you waiting for? (laughs) Seriously, your feedback matters to me. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. Speaking of places to stream, I am working hard to get the podcast on iHeartRadio. I'll keep you posted once that's live. All right. Are you ready to meet Janelle? You know what to do. Tune in. Turn it up. Let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Janelle Hardy. Janelle is a writer, artist, and the host of the Personal Mythmaking Podcast and the creator, teacher of a five-month transformational memoir writing course called The Art of Personal Mythmaking. Janelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Hi, Lauren. It's totally my pleasure to be here with you today. Janelle, there is one reoccurring theme that has come up on nearly every podcast episode, and that's childhood. We hear from guests time and time again about how vital childhood is and how much it just impacts us even as adults. That's one of the reasons I'm really excited for our talk today about just healing trauma, because for many of us, traumas that are affecting us today as adults are traumas that happen to us as children. But before we get into all of that, I would love to know a little bit more about you and your journey. How exactly did you get to this place of supporting people in their healing work? <laughs> it's like the biggest question in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the longest winded answer, probably. <laughs> um, let's see. How did I get to this point? Uh, I would say that my own needs for healing were the catalyst. Mm. And in seeking out healing and really seeking to learn and understand who I was and why I had the challenges that I had, sometimes still have, um, all of that seeking and learning and growth developed in me the skills and the desire to also offer that sort of support to others on a similar path. 
Mm, I love that it came from, from your own seeking. So you're definitely a seeker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the work that you do. So personal myth-making, like what mm-hmm. is that? Break that down for us. Yeah. So the Art of Personal Myth-Making is a transformational memoir writing course that I've created that is all about getting you to the first draft of your memoir, getting it written, which is an enormous, enormous creative task to um, write the first draft of any sort of uh, writing, whether it's fiction or not. And because I have a background in the healing arts, but also because um, when we look at our own life story, it's inevitable that there's opportunity for healing Uh, Also opportunity to look at our own life and life story and reframe it to understand it from different perspectives. The the part of the personal myth-making process that's more than just memoir writing is the part where we explore ourselves and our, our human path. And I really facilitate that through a body-based approach to support um, calming and settling dysregulation in the nervous system, um, which can come from capital T and small t traumas. And um, you referenced childhood, a lot of that, uh, a lot of the unlearning that we need to go through has to do with um, childhood, but also has to do with the cultural perspectives that we're raised in, and certainly, especially patriarchy as well. We, We are conditioned to understand certain um, culturally applied limits as truth when they're not actually truth. So unraveling and unlearning all these ways of being that kind of obscure our, our deeper self from ourselves is really liberating. And from, from my perspective, it really comes from doing creative work and body-based work first. Mm, let's take a step back a second. What is big T and small T in trauma? Mm -hmm. So uh, trauma, uh, most people are familiar with big T trauma. So that's a car accident. It's um, abuse of different kinds. It's um, violence, um, PTSD from being in a soldier in a war, for example. Mm. Um, These kinds of traumas, they're really tangible and Um, a little more easy to understand as um, something that has the power to irrevocably um, change or harm you. And the, the part about trauma that becomes really important to understand is when we get stuck in a trauma loop where we're dysregulated. So, and this is, um, it's not, a state that we have to be stuck in, but it particularly I'm speaking from a North American perspective, I'm from Canada, but in our, the kind of current cultural milieu, we are, um, we're socialized to learn how to suppress the healthy responses and, and to not provide healing support so that people can move through a trauma and become re-regulated in the nervous system. So that's big T traumas and a little bit about trauma. Um, Little T traumas are things like chronic stress. Um, They're they're smaller, more subtle uh, impacts on ourselves that 
on an ongoing basis can actually have a big impact um, that might be a response that might be more expected from a big T trauma. Uh, and the accumulation, it's often an accumulation of many small ongoing significant stressors with no relief and no break combined with perhaps uh, a sharp shock, uh, uh, a car accident that's not actually all that bad, but if your entire system is just oversaturated trying to cope with all of these smaller ongoing traumas, that might be the tipping point where then you end up, for example, getting a diagnosis of PTSD. Um, but often you don't need that diagnosis to still be um, really dysregulated. So it's important to remember that more than just the big T traumas have a really profound impact on us. Yeah, I think that that's something I've learned a lot this year is sometimes, I guess, what you would call those little T traumas, they require a lot of inner work to work through it. There are still parts of me that I would say probably more of a big T trauma um, that I've blocked out months to even years of a certain period in my life. And subconsciously, mm -hmm. I think that's a way of protecting myself. So what if someone like me who wants to try and write a memoir, but they're just really afraid to get sucked back into those painful memories and trauma? How mm -hmm. can we do this without re-traumatizing ourselves? Yeah, that's the best question ever. And it's such a good question because I meet so many people that have a really big desire to write their memoirs. Um, or I even have students that don't really want to write their memoirs, but they want to do this transformational healing work. And a lot of people put it off because of that fear that it will be overwhelming and it'll be too painful to revisit. And so I provide a lot of support through the body-based um, prompts and guidance uh, to have the tools and skills first to recognize when you're going into a state of overwhelm or for example, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. Uh, and being able to recognize when you're starting to go into that state and then having the very gentle um, body-based nervous system regulating um, tools that I teach, you're able to soften and shift out of that state before, it, before you're stuck in the middle of it and you've kind of locked yourself into whatever habitual response your system typically has. So that's the first thing is that I, um, I teach a softening and a gentling and a slowing down and a tuning in and a real prioritizing of paying attention to what our body and our nervous system is trying to tell us and then having these um, ways of tuning in and softening and releasing. So the, the thing is when we learn how to fully release and discharge that um, adrenalized loop from a trauma, we're not stuck in the loop anymore. And so the more that we can learn to catch ourselves and soften and just release a bit at a time, the less overwhelming it becomes. And the other thing that I also teach with um, painful or difficult memories is you don't have to dive into the middle of it. So there's this real cultural narrative that we're raised in, you know, the go hard, 
go big or go home, no pain, no gain, push through, like get in the middle of it. And it's actually not helpful. And there's a great deal of power and learning and transformation that can happen by just staying on the periphery of the big thing and nibbling at the edges and moving around and um, kind of like dropping an ice cube in water, letting things thaw until they're ready to crack apart rather than charging in with a hammer. Mm, That makes sense because I feel like if you were to go kind of like balls to the wall, I guess. Yeah, there's another saying. Yeah, (laughs) trying to get something new. Um, But, you know, just going right in and you're not – prepared for it that could um, that I could see how that could almost digress you a little bit yeah. so it does make sense to like you said to kind of nibble away at it and I could see that let's say there's an audience member listening and they're like okay Janelle like this sounds good I, I understand this would be healing for me but I don't really want to write a memoir how can how can mm-hmm. this still be therapeutic and healing for someone who's who still feels like this this could help them, but they don't necessarily have the goal of writing a memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you don't have to write a memoir, <laughs> but it is a it is a side effect. You'll have enough material generated mm. through the writing prompts that I provide through the uh, a lot of the the course that I take people through. We use writing as one of the vehicles for transformation because it's just really remarkably powerful what shows up for us when we sit down to write without a preconceived agenda and the stories and you know the very cool thing about doing um, healing work that does face some of our uh, sorrows and pains and fears is that as we work through that we actually make space in our lives for joy and mm. uh, capacity to experience more pleasure than we're able to experience when we're um, fearful or kind of locked down or avoiding the thing that's calling to us. So um, I really do want to emphasize that the rewards of doing this kind of deep work are more access to ease and flow and joy. Mm. And to cir- just to circle back to that, question well I don't really want to write my memoir (laughs) Um, I would say about half of my students that's not their main goal their main goal is transformation yeah and the process works and then the beautiful side effect is that that there is the material generated for the rough draft of the memoir so it works for people that really want to write their memoir maybe don't realize that um healing is going to be part of the journey get in the middle of my course and they go oh wow (laughs) yeah I'm I'm sure a lot of for a lot of people different blocks and belief systems also come up that they weren't even consciously aware of Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's pretty uh, for me as the creator and teacher the guide it's just so amazing and beautiful and cool to be to bear witness to people as they unravel and make these discoveries about themselves and their their the the context that they're born into and um the discoveries that show up the unexpected gifts that show up by doing this kind of healing work oh i love it okay so now we gotta talk about something that i've just been so intrigued about 
Fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> what does fairy tales and the body, what do they have to do with writing and healing? Yeah. Oh, I, I love your question because I <laughs> fairy tales in my course. So yes, uh, they have so much to do. Um, so I have a background in anthropology, which is the study of culture. And one of the things that's important to remember, and we don't always know this as um, cultures that are so visually oriented and are super literate, we get all of our information from movies, from reading, from being online, from books. It's very, very um, focused on receiving information in that way. But widespread literacy is actually still a really new phenomenon in human history. And so uh, what, how did communities pass on knowledge before everyone could read, before books were available, before the printing presses were invented, before mm. libraries were actually publicly accessible, right? The way that um, cultural knowledge and stories and learning at, were passed on was through story, mm. through um, ancient tales like fairy tales, mythology, folklore, um, just oral history, right? right? And it was often a community event and, and the stories that carried a lot of meaning would be passed on um, by being told and retold uh, over and over. And so the really interesting thing to think about with this idea of what do fairy tales or uh, ancient tales have to do with anything and my perspective is they have everything to do we just have forgotten that we have access to these um, knowledge keepers to these medicine stories they exist and keep getting passed down through generations for reason or they wouldn't right and mm -hmm. some fairy tales um, certainly fairy tales that are rooted in um, parts of Europe and Greece uh, that kind of area have been traced through linguistics and archaeology to be 6,000 years old to be wow. predating patriarchy mm. for example and so isn't that magnificent? Yeah, that is <laughs> insane and amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to add just a little more about, I mean, I could talk about this forever. But oh, let's the, keep going. Let's go down this <laughs> rabbit hole. I'm all about it. <laughs> so um, the other thing that's really important to, to remember about ourselves as humans is that we are story-driven creatures and we're social. Mm. So we need to belong. We need to be in connection in relationship with people so in community and we learn mostly through story cross-culturally every single culture has these ancient tales and so um, more ancient tales they carry layers of meaning and mm. in more traditional cultures um, and certainly in some cultures that have pr preserved their uh, cultural inheritance, um, there's often a couple people in each community that are the designated story keepers and record keepers by memory, and they're actually apprenticed and trained into remembering and learning all the nuances of the stories and also usually kinship. Um, and, and the communities as a whole know the stories, but there are 
a couple people that are honored and, and protected because they carry that wealth of knowledge and it's their job to keep retelling and passing it down. Um, the really important thing to think about when using ancient tales, of course, is that now that we are so reliant on the written word, um, it's super important to ask the question, who collected the stories? Who wrote them down? What were their agendas? For example, um, the Grimm's fairy tales, these were collected by two, the brothers Grimm, two brothers. Yeah. They're German. Uh, yeah. And these were men collecting stories and they were Christian. So um, they weren't ethnographers. Their commitment wasn't to collect the story as it was and preserve it. Mm. And nowadays there are folklorists who do this, who are absolutely committed to the integrity of the story. But a lot of the ancient tales from one, two, three hundred years ago that were collected were actually um, censored and rewritten to serve certain purposes. And then you have to also ask the question if they've been translated, you know, who did the translating? <laughs> so right. super important when you do work with ancient tales to always ask what's missing in the story and how can I just remember that there might be pieces missing and I get to investigate how to fill that in. So then when we work with these stories, or when I get my students to work with these stories, I start everyone out with a workshop called Outline Your Memoir, and we use fairy tales as part of that. The absolutely incredible and magic thing for me to witness is that uh, I, get some, I get my students to choose an ancient tale, and whatever tale they choose, it's got some really profound patterns and themes and symbols that reveal themselves to the person who chose the story that help them to understand their own life story. So there's a mm. relationship between what we really resonate with and what it has to teach us. And so this is a really beautiful way to, in our super individualistic societies where we think that we have to figure everything out ourselves and we kind of forget that we are embedded in cultures that have multi-generational learning and transmitted down through the generations, that gets really forgotten in individualist cultures. And, and it can be a kind of a challenging, isolating, shaming experience when we're really oriented around being an individual because then we think we have to figure it all out ourselves. But by tapping into these ancient stories, it's yeah. like we're just letting go of having to figure it out. And we're just going, oh, hey, story with thousands of years of um, power of being passed down. Can I work with you? Can you lift me up and help me out a little? Mm. Do you find that your students already know the fairy tale or do they go on a quest or I should say ancient tale um, or do, are they going on a quest to find one that maybe feels like it resonates with them or do a lot of them just show up and they're like, Cinderella's my jam, you know? <laughs> I would say it's half and half. So some people yeah. um, really love mythology and fairy tales and folklore. And they, they've, you know, some people have had a relationship with the story since childhood. That's mm. common. Um, and other people, it's their first experience of really encountering a story. Um, and either way, I encourage researching because 
these stories get written down, it's really helpful to find as many different versions of the story as possible and soak them all in. And, th and then you get that more nuanced experience, um, which is what, when we were pre-literate cultures, you would be getting from a story, you'd be hearing it told more than once, often seasonally and from different people. So yeah, even if folks don't really understand or haven't encountered ancient tales the same way, they, um, they dive in and find a lot of juice to it. And really the same kind of stories and archetypal structures and forces are being recycled constantly. So even if we look at movies, contemporary yeah. movies, they're rooted in um, different ways of retelling very similar and basic story structures. And so once people start paying attention to these more ancient stories, um, it becomes quite apparent, oh, nothing's really original, but yeah. the originality is in the telling of it in a different way. I love that you touched on this because as you were talking and you were saying, you know, going back and there is a keeper of stories and it changes. I think I was probably... I don't know, maybe eight. And I remember sitting um, at my school library, you know, library day and the librarian, we were, I just, I happened to mention Cinderella cause this was on my brain, but we were going through all of the different Cinderella tales and how it looked in different cultures. Mm -hmm. And while the story itself was pretty much the same. There is a couple differences. I remember that being like an eye-opening experience of, oh, in this Cinderella story, um, you know, it was stepbrothers. And this one, it was uh, the, the mom died, you know, or the dad died, not the mom, or, and they had a stepfather. Um, so it was like all these like different, different things, but still the, the core basis of the story was the same. But I'm interested to know, do you have a favorite ancient tale yourself i do yes oh, can to share <laughs> sure it's the um sealskin soulskin story oh, so it's the selkie mythology it's a celtic um collection of stories all about seal women Ooh, mm -hmm. sounds interesting i'm not familiar with this would you like me to tell it? Yes, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> okay, I'll, I, won't, I won't stretch on too long, but it's fun to tell. Okay, so as I mentioned, there's many different versions of every ancient tale. I'm just going to tell the version that's present for me right now. And I encourage you and your listeners to just kind of settle into a receptive state. Uh, a state of receiving rather than analyzing and just allow the story to wash over you. So once upon a time, there was a very lonely fisherman who lived by himself in a cozy little stone house near the coast, far from any villages. We don't know why he was living by himself, but there he was, and every day he'd go fishing, and he took care of himself, and life was pretty good because it's so beautiful where he was living, but he was really lonely. And along that coastline, there were a lot of seals, and these seals were magic seals. And he noticed, just 
through his regular comings and goings from land to sea and walking often along the shoreline, daydreaming about his life, that sometimes when the sun was really hot and the clouds broke open and the sky was blue, which was really rare, that some of these seals would come up onto bold, big boulders, little tiny islands close to the shore, and they would shimmy and shake and emerge from their seal skins as beautiful, naked, joyful women. And as long as the sun was shining, they would hang out on those boulders and they would sing and they would play and they would roll in the sun and they would push each other off the side and in general just have a really good time, which made him feel even lonelier and also very turned on because he was unmarried and he had no one to interact with. So one day he hatched a devious plan because he got it into his head that he could marry one of these women, but how could he approach them? Every time he um, tried to approach the seals in their seal form, they would duck under the water. And every time he thought of approaching the boulder, they would scatter, jump back in their seal suits and scatter. So he came up with a plan to steal one of the seal skins. And somehow, I don't know how, he managed to get to that rocky island and steal one without the seal women noticing him. And when the sun left and the clouds came back over and it got a little cooler, all the women jumped back into their seal skins and became seals again and hopped or slithered <laughs> in their seal way into the water except one woman who couldn't find her seal skin. And so her sister seals in the water were barking and barking from the water trying to get her to come back in the water but they couldn't wait forever and she was frantic looking and searching for her seal skin and the fisherman revealed himself and he begged and pleaded and said I love you so much I can offer you the most wonderful life and home we can have children together please won't you marry me and then she of course refused he was a stranger and she's not a land creature and why on earth would she marry him but she still couldn't find her sealskin and so then he confessed that he stole the sealskin and that she had no choice so she made a deal with him that she would go with him onto the land, live as a human, but that she could only survive for seven years without her sealskin, and he would have to give it back to her. That was the only way she would consider it. So they agreed. And um, for a while, his stone house by the sea was warmer and filled with more fragrant smells as they cooked together and slowly they had children. And for him, it was a very joyful experience. And for her, although she accepted her seven-year um, situation and she loved her children very much and she came to like the fishermen as well, she always longed for the sea and her seal sisters and she never felt at home. And she just counted down the days to that seven-year end point when she would get her seal skin back. And the closer they got to the seven years, the drier she became. Her skin really started to feel flaky and crepey. She got sadder. Her children noticed, but of course they're children, and that's just mom. And her husband noticed and felt guilty, but also selfish. 
And seven years came and went and she demanded her sealskin and he didn't give it to her. Mm. She was so angry. She was absolutely enraged. And more than that, she knew that she would die if she couldn't return to the sea. But one of her children was a very curious, curious child and was always snooping and searching and inquiring into nooks and crannies. And there's two versions. One is that this child found the sealskin in a chest in the house and pulled it out and asked her what it was. And the other version is that this child found that sealskin tucked away in a tiny little cave that was blocked by a boulder near the sea. Either way, the child found the sealskin and innocently asked the, their mother uh, what it was. And the mother, of course, knew what it was and just scared that child with her eagerness to, to, to get it. And, and so she got that sealskin and she put it on while well, she went to the shoreline and then she put it on because it's very hard for seals to move around on land. And she just slid into that water as fast as possible and there of course were her sister seals who always checked in and came close to the shore because they were waiting to get their sister back and she was so overjoyed and frolicked and leaped and barked with her sister seals and then heard this crying and realized as she looked at the shore where her child was standing and thought of the other two children in the house that her children couldn't follow her. They could come into the water and swim like seals and not be affected by the cold for short amounts of time, longer than humans definitely, but they were in between the two worlds. They weren't fully land and they weren't fully sea. And so she returned to her sisters, but always again after that felt torn towards the land and never strayed too far from the shore where her children were. And that is the end of that. I love that. So why is that your favorite? And by the way, you're a beautiful storyteller. <laughs> Thanks. Oh my gosh, there's so many reasons why that story is my favorite. And it changes as I grow through different phases in my life. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I loved the story for a long time just because I loved it. And, and then I encountered a book called Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And she explores a number of different fairy tales from a Jungian perspective. Jungian is uh, Jungian um, analysts. It's a kind of therapy. And um, it really spoke to me how she analyzed the fairy tale and applied it to women and women's growth and journey and one of the things that stood out to me was the idea of the seal skin as your soul skin the seal skin as um, the part of you that you have to keep on or you start to dry up and wither and so if you set that essential part of you aside which often happens in modern culture if you set your intuition and your truest self and soul calling aside for too long you're going to start to dry up and lose your vitality. And that if you discover that is what you've done, the imperative as with this um, seal woman is to reclaim that, that soul skin, put it back on and return to your natural environment. In her case, the salty 
sea water and her sisterhood of seals. So for a long time, that really spoke to me and, uh, and helped guide me in my own self-reclamation journey. And more recently, I've, I've been thinking about um, the fishermen and the role of, in subtle ways, of coercion, of going against yourself. So the amazing thing with fairy tales is you can also work with them so that everything becomes symbolic. Mm. Um, so it's not l literal so much as it's a symbol of something in your inner life um, or a force that you've been working with. And, and you can really, really get a lot of rich insight by working with a fairy tale in that way as well. So... Um, and then finally, my, the latest thing that's been pulling me with that story is the child, the child that's caught between. So I don't have any conclusions about that, but it's just really interesting to go, huh, I never really thought about the child or children in the yeah. story before, but now I am. Yeah, I was about to, like that story has so many layers to it. I feel like you could peel almost like an onion. You could peel mm -hmm. it back in so many different ways. And I love how you're continuously pulling back that story and trying to figure out the puzzle pieces and how it it mirrors your life in a sense. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So that's why I get people working with fairy tales. <laughs> oh, it makes so much sense. And I've never thought of it in this way. So you have completely blown my mind this evening. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Well, Janelle, where can our audience go to just learn more about you and your work, take a course, or just connect with you further? Mm -hmm. So um, two places. My Art of Personal Mythmaking course is personalmythmaking.com. And I actually have two lovely freebies. Um, they're PDFs. One is 10 Gentle Yet Effective Ways to Heal Painful Memories Using Writing and Your Body, and that's personalmythmaking.com slash memories. And the other one is 10 Impactful Memoir Writing Prompts for Healing and Transformation, and that is at personalmythmaking.com slash writing. So those are really great ways to get a taste for my work. I also have, um, soon we'll have an on-demand outline your memoir workshop, which that, that will actually introduce you into working with your own fairy tale. And that will be easy to find as well as anything else about me at my personal website, which is janellehardy.com. Mm, I love it. I'm going to have to go grab those freebies up. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to do next. Janelle, you're doing such great healing work. Thank you so much today for just showing your, your truth and sharing your wisdom and sharing that beautiful story. I have a lot to take away with me today, and I'm sure our audience does as well. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure to be able to come on your show. Thank you. Didn't you just love the ancient tale that Janelle shared? I definitely did. You can find direct links to Janelle's website, social channels, and the two free gifts that she mentioned on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. Don't forget that every Friday I'm dropping new episodes for the Fuel Your Life Friday mini-series. I hope you'll join me and tune in. I'm back here next week to share another empowering, amazing conversation with a new expert. But until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.